0: the satanica podcast a weekly discussion of diabolical affairs in china coming to you from the bowels of hell also known as pop-up chinese towers here in beijing i'm kaiser guo joined of course by the one and only jeremy Goldcorn, the man behind danway.com how are you tonight jeremy i'm
1: really really very very well it's a beautiful day it really is most beautiful day
0: of the year so far in beijing and we are stuck in the bowels of hell indeed we are to discuss humor so, so Jeremy, I'm going to go out on a limb here and make a bold assertion. I submit that uh, that in many ways a, a, a culture sense of humor is the best window on that culture. Indeed, may represent the very essence of that culture and that by looking closely at a culture's notion about what is funny, looking at its jokes, looking at, at its comic performances and the way that it laughs itself if, indeed it ever does, uh, that all that really speaks volumes about a culture. So show me what tickles the funny bone of a given bunch of folks, and I've got a pretty good picture of them, right? I mean, like, if you had a time capsule uh, of, like, late 20th and early 21st century videos with The Simpsons and South Park and Seinfeld and uh, maybe Louis C.K. and The Daily Show, you'd, you'd, you'd give future cultural anthropologists a pretty good idea of what our time was all about, and yeah, you, know. you would
1: perhaps better than if you read the the leading serious intellectual novels of the day or the New York Times headlines. Yeah.
0: Okay. Cool. I'm I'm glad you're down with this. Yeah. Idea. No, I'm down with
1: that. Let's let's run with that. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I mean, so you know, of course, every different culture has uh, very different senses of humor. You know, anyone who's been who's had truck with the French or with the Germans or the Japanese or American Jews or the Russians, uh, when we think of the style of humor or the humorlessness that the uh, that is stereotypically associated with them, um, you know, we have a, a clear idea. And, and Entschuldigung, mein, meine deutsche Freunde, because they don't <laughs> have any humor, of course. But anyway, uh, anyway, today we are going to examine humor in China, of course, and uh, attempt to account for the apparent chasm that separates Chinese and, well, I guess, Anglophone humor? I mean, obviously, American and British humor, they are themselves a chasm apart, but we're going to elide that to now and really talk about American humor. Let's talk about American. Sure. I mean, the three of you
1: are all uh, proud
0: Americans. Right, and you're met... a South African. You sound uh, kind of w- know, vaguely British. I, I, but... Yeah, I'm t-
1: completely deracinated, so <laughs> I, my culture doesn't count. But, right. So, so let's just cool. stick
0: with American versus Chinese humor as kind of the... Fortunately, we have the just the right to... Uh, guests for the show tonight we are pleased to welcome back david moser who's director of chinese studies at the cet program here in beijing as well as being an accomplished pianist and most relevantly for purposes of our show tonight uh is one of a small but growing coterie of north americans who have trained in xiangsheng uh often translated as crosstalk we'll be talking quite a bit about that the closest equivalent i guess you'd I say to western stand-up mm-hmm. uh david studied under uh Ding Wang Quan, Uh, who is famous as the teacher of Mark Rosewell, a.k.a. Dashan, who everybody knows. Uh, David has also written some excellent essays related to comedy in China, and we'll be talking about those essays today on the show, and we'll, of course, link to those on our podcast page. So thanks for making the time, David. Good to see you, man. Thanks,
2: and uh, as an American, I didn't find it funny to start the podcast uh, in a satanic way. I mean, it offends <laughs> our sensibilities. We're a very conservative culture, Christian culture, by the way, so I just state that at the outside. It was He's not else. funny. I just well, I didn't like, like that at
1: all. Kai's is not a very funny guy, dude. No, I mean. no. no.
0: <laughs> right. Satan doesn't want me to be funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, we are also delighted to welcome for his debut appearance on Seneca mm. the very talented Jesse Appel, who is currently in China on a Fulbright Scholarship. Uh, to study Xiangsheng, also as it happens under Ding Wangquan, who apparently is the singular <laughs> gatekeeper for all white folks who want to break into Chinese comedy. The door for any foreigner to pass through in order to the Well, eight of you. <laughs> <laughs> So Jesse's also studying Chinese comedy more generally. You may know him from his Gangnam-style parody, La Wai Style, which was really, really funny and got millions of views on Yoku, and we'll talk about that at length. He also blogs at ChinaPersonified.com, which is one of my up-and-coming favorite sites on China. And on his own Tumblr blog, which is laughbeijing.tumblr.com, welcome to Seneca, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, so, guys, I, I made this assertion just now about you know the very essential nature of humor to a given culture. So, do you guys agree to that? I mean, is, Jeremy are down, and I are down with that idea.
2: Yeah, uh, I agree with it. I, I I've done a lot of thinking about this. I've actually attended uh, when I was uh, doing my graduate work a lot of these uh, graduate. Uh, academic seminars in humor <laughs> which oh, yeah. are not very
0: funny actually <laughs> no they, i can't imagine they would <laughs> but <were. laughs> one thing
2: you one thing that you the, the takeaway from a lot of those is that uh, the mechanisms of humor seem to be the same essentially worldwide they okay. you know involve the same kinds of cognitive mechanisms <clears throat> you know playing with logic and twists of you know uh, setting up an expectation setting up and default. then yeah, it right, right right. There. but that, but there's you know wild difference in tone and content and the kind of things that maybe we'll get into later you know the, the, the example, you know, if I can throw this in that we just mentioned the other day was, you know, I always think the perfect Jewish joke is the Woody Allen joke. You know, when he says, uh, uh, Rabbi, who is the who is greater, Moses or Abraham? And the Rabbi says, uh, Abraham. And the student says, But Rabbi, Moses led the the children of Israel out of the to the promised land. He said. Okay, so Moses, <laughs>
0: <laughs> which is so perfect, you know, this this violated your expectations. Okay, so your challenge is by the end of the episode today to come up with a quintessentially Chinese, Chinese joke. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. right. Well, that's a okay. challenge. So yeah, and yeah. Got Thirty got minutes out.
1: and the clock is ticking. Yeah, I have my student do that. <laughs> oh no, no, no.
2: Jesse's my student, so I'll, that's, that's, that's his assignment. Yeah, so. I'm getting, I'm getting all the
3: opportunities it appears. Yeah, right. um, um,
0: but I'm no. going to distract you first by asking you a question. So if it's true that you can sort, sort of tell quite a bit about a culture by by its sense of humor, mm-hmm. what does the current state of humor say about China in the year 2013?
3: Oh, Well, that's interesting. I think the first thing you say to that is that the current state of humor is very different from what you see portrayed in the media, okay. uh, in Great. Chinese media. I mean, we, there's a lot of restrictions in terms of uh, what can and can't be done in terms of humor on TV being done in a very polished, prepared way uh, week after week after week. As opposed to a lot of the humor that you see now on Weibo where you'll see one guy come up with a really funny joke that really gets right at it, mm-hmm. it goes on, it gets spread virally, and then you never hear from, hear
0: from that person again. Well, the internet is obviously <laughs> the breeding ground for all that is funny now that, that isn't sort of, you know, state-sanctioned humor, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, I mean, it's fabulous, and, and we'll we'll certainly be talking about that. So, And we, I think uh, how the internet is really leading a, a, a major change in the way that, that mm-hmm. Chinese people are appreciative of humor. So, I mean, let's just go to a very basic question, and first to you, Jesse. So, if you just discount language-based, kind of pun-based humor, mm-hmm. what works uh, for an English language audience that simply doesn't work for a Chinese audience? I mean, and then just reverse the question, and you know, what, what Chin- works for a Chinese audience that doesn't work for an English audience?
3: Um, I think that most of the techniques of... Uh, of comedy, you know, setting expectations and then reversing them and having, you know, relationship-based humor that, you know, is the basics of any sitcom and that sort of thing. I think that generally does work pretty well between the cultures. Uh Uh, But what I found is that the difference generally comes from how well any given topic will work. So let's say that you have, like, a a son who talks back to his father or something like that. Okay. So normally your relationship is supposed to be that, you know, son can't say whatever he wants to his father – but then within that, what you can and can't say, that's very different between the two cultures. Sure. So you can have a joke where you have the son talking back to his father and saying something sort of wisecracky, and I think that would go over funnier here uh, than it may go over in America where, you know, we're kind of just used to children
0: saying right. it defies expectation. Here. right. here. Right,
2: right. I could throw in an anecdote that proves that, actually. Okay. When I was first married to my wife, who's Chinese, it wasn't very long, she was at, a, at my house in the United States, and my... Uh, someone had come, a woman, an attractive woman had come to the door to see me about something, an old, an old friend. Does that happen a lot? Ha- yeah. That's not the joke, Jesse. <laughs> oh, Shut up. Okay, anyway. Uh, um, <laughs> and and uh, she, was, she happened to be mentioned she was selling her car or something. So uh, my father, as she, just as she was leaving, you know, he, he, or he, she had already left, I guess. And he, he was sort of interested in that car. And he said, uh, can you give me that woman's phone number? And I said, why, Dad? You interested? You know, in, in, in the woman, you know, and, right. and my wife, who's Chinese, did not find this funny at all. Oh, she said, How could you say that to your father? That's a terrible <laughs> thing to
0: say to your father. It's just a joke, we do that all the time, right? Right, right. I mean, what about you know, deadpan? What about what about sort of or the absurd or or, or the sort of wistful? Yeah. I mean, those are things that I find don't work so well. I think it, it really depends here more than I think in America,
3: it depends who's telling the joke. So I find it very difficult to do deadpan humor in China because people, even when they understand that I'm conversationally fluent or whatever you want to say in Chinese, Mm -hmm. even if they understand I can get my meaning across, they're not ready for a deadpan joke. From a white guy. From a white guy. Right. They they see me and they assume, okay, what are the, you know, I've had a thousand, in Beijing you might have had a thousand conversations with foreigners in the past here and there and here and there. And how often do you you see the white guy go and tell a deadpan joke? But. very very rarely you know in in other parts where they don't see as much foreigners i think it might be close on impossible to really get that joke across um if you were chinese however i think that they um i i expect that you you would see some sort of um some sort of jokes like that although i i tend to see that chinese people make a lot of rhetorical questions mm-hmm. and so i think it's just uh it's not that it wouldn't work it's just not really a favored method of Telling jokes here.
0: Okay, what about like sort of the absurd? I mean, David and I were talking the other day about Andy Kaufman. You remember Andy Kaufman? Uh, I mean, he was an American comedian in the seventies. He 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 died very young, but uh, his thing was just absolute absurdity. I mean, he would get up there and he would sing these really childish songs, or he would stand there with a a little phonograph playing a forty five of the Mighty Mouse theme, and then just suddenly. Burst into the chorus, you know. Here I come to save the day, and that was the routine. I mean, it was it was absolutely absurd. And you know, the rest of the time he would sit there with a straight face. Uh, this sort of thing, what could could, the, the, to me, it just bespeaks this this still cosmic kind of disconnect between these two humor cultures. Uh, but where, but you know, you seem to be saying that that there's still there's still more similarity than there is difference.
3: Um, I think that there's a lot of like deep underlying similarity that winds up getting. Humor is so delicate, it can wind up being thrown off by just about anything. So you can have a really great core concept that's funny in, say, American and Chinese culture, mm-hmm. but then if you deliver it in a Xiangsheng performance without telling an American what a Xiangsheng performance is, there will be just enough of the weirdness there and just enough of the discomfort that you could lose the entire
0: effect of the joke. David, I mean, the, going back 100, 200 years, I know mean, you, you were telling me that you had read a collection of Qing Dynasty mm-hmm. jokes mm-hmm. of... of were they funny? Did you get them?
2: Uh, well, c- getting to—maybe I tie these two questions in together. Okay, good. But, but uh, there isn't—it's is true that there isn't a tradition of, of whimsy, like as, as in Lewis Carroll. There's really nothing like that right. in, in, in early Chinese literature or culture. And, and there's also nothing so much as, you know, this sort of absurdist, uh, you know, dadaist almost kind of humor. That, uh, uh, although I would just mention you're beginning to see that a little bit in the Hong Kong movie style, the wulitoe. The yeah, yeah, style yeah. of Stephen Chow and stuff like that. So you're starting to see it. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Jesse might know this from Crosstalk. There's, a, there's a, a principle that they will talk about, that the performers talk about, is that a joke has to be, mm-hmm. So it means it has to be a surprise, but, but when the joke is heard, at the end it has to tie up all the loose ends. You have to say, aha oh, that makes sense in retrospect. So, okay. so, that, so that goes along with that is, is that you can't have a joke that, that doesn't have a, a point to it.
0: But, I mean, doesn't it sound sort of too on the nose? Doesn't that kind of ruin the joke that if you, you must have that kind of Not really. They, they see
2: that as a, a satisfying aspect of it. It's a it.
3: well-put-together joke. Yeah, a
2: well, well-structured joke that, that, that has a sort of afterlife where you go, ah, oh, you go back and think about it. Oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. It's yeah. sort of if you, I don't
3: know, we, we do this in the West a lot where we'll have like a crazy caper movie like The Hangover or something like that. And uh-huh. there's a billion different plot points and they all come together at just the right time for everybody to be like in, in the worst possible circumstance to face the problem they need to have. So the tiger's not a problem until he gets out of the room. But even if the tiger gets out of the room, that's not a problem as long as this doesn't go bad. But if that goes bad and that goes bad and that goes bad and that goes bad all at the same time, and then you see, oh, no, this is how this is going to turn out, isn't it? And then we have this sort of like, you know, there is almost like the in a com- in a comedy, there is almost like a fate, like everything that could go wrong that way has to go wrong exactly in the worst way it could go wrong. Isn't okay.
1: the elephant in the room when discussing Chinese? We're talking humor,
3: about
0: a tiger here, or no. I don't know. T- the tiger, the tiger, <laughs> elephant
1: um, is censorship. You know, I hate to be the yes. guy who's always <laughs> moaning about it, but I am. But you are. Um, so, uh, isn't the problem that you are not allowed to say anything that's funny on TV?
0: Um, really. Well yep. David, you wrote that great piece I mean talking about how basically the yeah. communist Party had had, had yeah. extinguished the fire of
1: the best thing I would like to say I think I've ever published on 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 dunway dot that's, a, that's an old piece too it's like from o four right how the communist Party killed chinese humor yeah a great piece
2: long with the communist party
1: <laughs> uh, you get this, I think this renew, goes back, renew his visa Communist Party Yes <laughs> And mine This is getting
2: that funny uh, you, you ask about Qing Dynasty jokes and, and you know we'll talk about maybe some, some 20th century jokes too but I mean uh, the, one of the characteristics of Chinese humor which it, it was not an elite form it wasn't something that the literati thought about and wrote about, which maybe is one of the reasons that, that humor, the name, had to come from English. You know, yuomua, they borrowed the term maybe. You know. What did they call it before that?
0: They didn't have a name for it. Yuomua itself is actually just yeah, a transliteration just humor. of humor. Right.
2: But what, what humor came from was was, the, was grassroots. It was the minjian, it was the people. And so a lot of these these joke books that you get are really just collections of, of you know, popular jokes that were going around. They weren't you know, literati, it was sort of high-class high sort of uh, jokes. So they tend to be, all the jokes uh, that, you, that you read tend to be body earthy, you know, it involves, and irreverent, you have, you know, all sorts of jokes with monks jumping in bed with women and everything. A I don't corrupt know how
3: official many... comes into a village. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> and,
2: and there's so many jokes about the monk and his bald head, you know, like the husband comes home, the monk is in bed with the wife and has to hide under the sheets, and the husband jumps in and tries to, you know, get it going with his wife and starts... Rubbing the monk's bald head and, and thinks it's a buttock, you know, and then on and on. You can imagine they're all you run into this over and, and over. That and that joke again. is from when <laughs> the Qing Dynasty.
1: That's, <laughs> That's a Qing Dynasty yeah, joke. Yeah, sure,
2: sure. Right. I mean, am not, not. This, this is a, this is a type of joke. It's not even just one joke. But this is a, a genre, yeah. right? So what happened was uh, when 1949 hit, you had Xiangsheng was this way, jokes were this way. They were they were they were generally like uh, made fun of of all types of you know country bumpkins of the henpecked husband. the the corrupt official, and so on and so forth. Very politically incorrect.
0: Do you suppose there's anybody here listening who doesn't know what Xiangsheng is that we, we <laughs> well, might need to explain. Well, why don't we explain it. just in case? Just in case, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, know, got so, yeah we've got two practitioners of the, the art.
1: We've got right. ex- wo- two of the world's leading experts
3: on Xiangsheng. in I mean, this room.
2: Jesse's so. supposed to be getting a Fulbright on this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What, what, what don't you tell us?
3: I'm, smart Alec, oh, well, smart guy. I, I should say that it is a really funny situation because, like, having gone and – well, we'll say – okay, well, I'll give the actual answer to the question you asked. So Xiangsheng is a Chinese performance art. It's uh, generally done in the form of a dialogue, although it can be done with one or three or more people. And basically the point is to have this sort of humorous go-between between the performers on stage, and to be able to speak so clearly and effectively that it brings people into the performance no matter what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does happen that a lot of the topics that are chosen happen to be funny, and you get a lot of humor. You get a lot more humor than you would think from reading the scripts. You get a lot more humor out of the relationship that the two or more players have on stage.
1: And the, the classic, too, is, <laughs> is kind of a straight guy and a, what, what do you call it, a f- straight guy and a funny guy, right? Yeah, yeah.
3: So, well, you have a Dogenda and a Pengenda. So, the Dogenda is kind of like the joke. Um and his job is to it, be a little bit more on the weird side and be able to say stuff. He's going to come up with answers that seem illogical to questions and then justify them through his strange logic. The Jerry Lewis yeah. to the Dean Martin.
0: Right? Oh, I see, right, right. Or well, the Abbott to the Costello. Yeah.
3: yeah. And um, But it's but it's not necessarily just like a straight man and a funny man sort of thing. It's a, it's a little bit more nuanced than that.
2: But, I, but not to be too attention deficit disorder here. I want to get back to Jeremy's question about, well, about fin- censorship. Let's, okay,
0: sh- wait, let's mm-hmm. finish up Shang Tsung real quick okay, before right. we, we do that. I mean, uh, because I, I do want to, you know, keep to this topic. Who are some yeah. of the greats of the, of the 20th century, 21st century, uh, who people should be aware of? And what were, you know, their distinct distinctive style, styles? I mean, the guys my, my bandmates used to listen to all the time were like Ma San Lee, yeah. an mm-hmm. old guy. He passed away just a few years yeah. ago. Right. Um, uh, probably the,
2: the, the, the really funniest ones are obviously the, the first one you need to know is Hou Baolin, oh, Ho Baolin. Oh, Who yeah. is the, the master it's, it's basically synonymous with the art form And Ding Wang Quan, which is Jesse and my teachers Is one of, is Hou Baolin's last pupil, student, mm-hmm, disciple mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, Hou Baolin uh, was the one who was so synonymous with Xiang Shen That he was one who called on to revise the pieces After liberation to clean them up So they called on him to do that uh, along with some scholars, because the jokes were too smutty and dirty, so they had to, you know, make them more politically correct. Uh, he was sent off to the countryside for the anti- and during the anti-rightist campaign. Supposedly, Chairman Mao one day said, uh, where is Hobart? I miss his humor. Where is he?
0: They so he, him was, back.
2: he was promptly brought back to, uh, said, you know, Get out of the picture! You're going back to Beijing to, to you know, to Chairman Mao <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> to be funny. All yeah, right, <laughs> the other two is you mentioned Ma Sanli is the more deadpan. He was, he was a, much an elder statesman. You know, he's 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 definitely a Buster Keaton type, straight face, right. a very very funny guy, very understated, very. His 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 stuff. There's videos and and yeah. of his. He's he's really really funny, uh, he's funny a guy.
3: Amazing performer too. I remember Ding Laushu was talking once about how you look at Ma San Lee on stage and it seems like he's just talking, yeah. but he has every single thing he, that he said he, out timed so down to the mark that his his performances, according to Ding Laosher, were were within two to three seconds of each other wow. every time that. But he but, you, but they look just absolutely yeah. natural. Natural, but, yeah.
0: yeah. And he's a Tianjiner, right? Yes. Uh, well, it, died years ago. there's a lot of sort of, of 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 kind of geographic uh focus on there. I mean there's they're either from Dongbei from Beijing or from 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 Tianjin Well right? basically
2: Beijing and Tianjin are the two yeah. two centers okay. and for a long time uh I think even to this day I uh, at least 10 or 15 years ago there was actually better crosstalk in Tianjin than Beijing. You'd have mm-hmm. the older performers there, mm-hmm. and you could go to clubs. A uh, xiangsheng is, is not like you see on TV now. It's like five minutes, ten minutes. The older pieces were like thirty minutes, forty minutes, uh, an yeah. hour. Uh, I mean, they were just tour de force. I mean, can
1: uh, what we mentioned, kind of mentioned Dongbei? Can I just ask a question? So, Aran Juan, mm-hmm. that's a Dongbei. That means what? Two per- people what does the zhuan mean Iron zhuan, two people just turning around turning around it's kind of like a, a northeastern version of crosstalk or how would you characterize it it's, it's different it's because different it's that that was in the news when was xiao shenyang on the xiao CCD, shenyang yeah uh, cctv right. galo like that two years ago right, right. it's a kind of a bodia tradition a lot it's of dirty jokes or because it's what's the one the difference? Cr- it's
2: because it's the form that it, it always involves a male and a female performer ah so you have this sexual dynamic and it sort of fell into this jokes with you know the, the usually the wife bullying the husband or the you know, right. sexual innuendo. Right. I think
3: Ar and Duan right now is kind of like the hipster Xiangsheng for a lot of people. Like, I got, right. I've got, i had some people they are like, oh, you're studying Xiangsheng? Like, if you were really into seeing the real stuff, you'd be studying R.N. Yeah. Duan.
1: Right, right. I, I don't know yeah. whether
3: that's right or not. But, but hip hip
1: <laughs> Oh, my Just God, the, it's come to this. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Wang Xiaofeng, the, the journalist and blogger, I think, was the one who he once said to me that the, the reason why Dongbei people are funny is because... You know, you have this long, long winter. You can only <laughs> you can only sow crops and only, farm for like three months. and you're only nine months of sitting inside. Left, yeah. Yeah. That's so why you, so
0: many American comedians are actually Canadian. I think
1: really
0: you, can, you can only either drink, tell jokes, or have sex, and there's nothing mm-hmm. else to do. So what about Zhang Kun and Liang Zuo? Um, you want to talk a little bit about those guys? Yeah, <clears throat> Zhang, Zhang
2: Kun was uh, has had a kind of an up and down career. He 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 was. Uh, Jiang Kun is Ma Ji's student, right? He's a Ma Ji's student I think. Okay. And he he was he he first came to light after the sort of ice age of Xiangsheng, which which kind of died out during the cultural revolution. Right. And he he had a, a series of hits after the cultural revolution that made fun of the Gang of 4 and Jiang Qing and the whole revolution area. There was a, there was a, there was a slight opening up period after you know, Mao died and and the Shang because it was allowed to make fun of that era for a short period of time.
0: Right, there's a a great skit that's in your piece about Mm. the revolutionary Photoshop. Right, 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 right. Roots of Zo right,
2: so like the you, every you know just in the old days, you know in those dark days that even something like buying a photo, you had to preface it all with revolutionary slogans yeah, and, uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. i'd like to have my picture taken. <laughs> yeah. and then Gu yeah. Wu would you I'd like did. a black and white it, it was
3: also a reflection of you had this situation where for ten years i mean. As much as we complain about not being able to perform anything now, for those ten years you could not perform anything. So you had all these jokes that were circulating, or even listen to anything on radio. Yeah, right. There
2: was only Chairman Mao was a fan of crosstalk, but he never listened to the revolutionary ones in his in his home. He always listened to the traditional (laughs) ones. But the 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 crosstalk during that period was all completely Yan'an style. I mean, yeah. Art for propaganda's
0: sake there it's you not go. A funny just your video. next your next video yeah gonna,
3: yeah we should say I want my visa as well to be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: so I, I i think that when uh we, we, you and I were talking about this this essay and and your main point about how you know by botherarizing it by stripping of all its body and biting and fiercely satirical elements, you know they kind of just just ruined mm-hmm. uh comedy for for yeah. for a long period um. I want to point everyone also out to this great essay that the two of us both read uh which suggests to me that China before the war was on a trajectory wasn't all that dissimilar to what was happening in in the US where you know there was a a you know a healthy satirical style that you know that had you know plenty of acid in it um I would point to the writings of Lin Yutang Lin Yutang is uh, a a real polymath. I mean, the guy was um, a, a ferociously good writer but he was also an inventor and, and, and uh, a thinker. Uh, China's
1: foremost gentleman I think one could d- describe. Him sure, as. sure.
0: Um, he was educated in Christian schools and then he went to to the United States to Harvard College in 1935, and, and by the way, wrote some of the best essays on humor and satire. Right, yeah. actually, and then there's an essay actually that I uh, made a recording for. Is just sort of a bonus track, uh, uh, a mock eulogy that he wrote. Uh, it's from his collection from 1940 called "Love and Irony," uh, and it's called "The Dog Meat General." Uh, and I'll read it for everybody at the end of the show. Anyway, David, um, you know, so it, you you would agree then that it points at, at uh, a China as it might have been had it not been for the great dis- disruptions of right. the war and the revolution, right? Right.
2: Yeah, I think uh, when, when when you read that piece, you could skip right now to the end of the broadcast. <laughs> Listen to the piece, but <laughs> but, it, but you know, I I had not read it until you sent it to me. But it just reads almost like stand up comedy with its irony and like like mocking tone. It's like a Stephen Colbert piece almost. <laughs> but but it is sad when you look at that and and you look at the joke books and you look at the the, the few scripts we have left. The, the the Chinese humor was on this trajectory where it was it was it was evolving. It was and it was. Uh, a vibrant sort of uh, form with, uh, with all the same char- kind of characteristics that Western humor that we're accustomed to had, and then yes, 1949 I think it effectively killed the the heart, the heart and soul of it. Not just not just the content, but this sort of thing I was talking about earlier, where humor now had to serve as a political purpose. It had to be edifying. And, so you, and you can't be funny while being edifying. That's, that's right, the problem. That's right, the fundamental. right. I mean, the, 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 the fundamental <coughs> dichotomy they set up was, well, uh, the, all the arts, but especially humor, must both mm-hmm. and 风试. So you had to have some fengzi, which is satire, so, humor, but you also had, had to have gesong in there, which is praise, you know, like right, praising yeah. the party. So mm-hmm. the, the question was just simply the ratio, how much satire to how much, uh, you know, praise. And so, th- when you're when you're thinking of devising a piece where you have to balance praise with satire, it's not going to be. It's guaranteed yeah, exactly to not be funny. funny
0: at all. So we look at China in 1949, and then we look at America coming out of the war, and we look at the the the, the decades that followed up through the 70s before China emerged from, uh, you know, the the dark period of of Maoism. Uh, and it's I, I wonder I wonder whether we're we're asking the wrong question. I mean, I think I I run into it all the time. People who are are just um, saddened or, or disillusioned or are contemptuous of china uh because they feel it lacks you know that that uh that irony that quality of irony that we f- you find that's just so diffuse in american society it's so it's so it's so ubiquitous mm-hmm. in american culture in all forms of american popular culture whether you're talking about literature or film or literature uh, i'm liter- literature. <laughs> literature or film literature. or television or or, or uh, music and um I wonder whether we're not asking the wrong question. Then I mean, you know, <clears throat> should we be saying, you know, why is China, is China free of irony? I mean, after all, we've it's become very unpopular now to say, you know, why didn't China industrialize, right? Or and why did science hmm, develop? Right? Why China, didn't yeah. science? Right, right. I mean, so shouldn't we be? sort of taking that, that same thinking to the development of irony and, and realized that America was very special. America was, was, was you know, I- incredible in that. Look, look at what happened in the years between the end of the war and, say, the, the end of the 70s. Mm-hmm. I mean, God, we could rattle off a, a, a long litany of, of, of things that have happened in, in that period. I mean, we went from, you know, bebop and rock and roll and the beats and Lenny Bruce and the Beatles and Civil Rights Movement and Flower Power and, you know, uh, Dick Gregory and uh, the whole whole anti-war counterculture and, you know, My Lai and Timothy Leary. I mean, I'm not, these aren't in order or anything, but, I mean... And oh. then in music, you know, you, the, you went from, like, the bombastic excesses of progressive rock and, like, jazz fusion to, like, the punk revolution. All that was happening, and it was... But this was also... I mean, you have to really go back early. I mean, this was happening against this sort of... <clears throat>
1: You know, a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant background that that that, that uh, a sure, culture could, that comes from you know the culture of Jonathan Swift, Right. and then you introduce black people from Africa,
0: Jews, exactly. You
1: know, it goes fucking nuts. It's right. great. I mean, look China, at America China, in, the, in the 19th you know,
0: century America. I mean, you already had Mark mm-hmm. Twain, you had Ambrose Bierce, and then you know at the turn of the century, then you. I mean, you know, in the early. Part of the 20th century, you had Dorothy Parker, you had you know, H.L. Right. Had, had, had Mencken. And, yeah, you know, if you went Wooly Toe, you had the Marx Brothers right, exactly. in the 20s and
2: 30s, right? I think that there is there a lot fields.
0: more diversity, I think,
3: in the mm-hmm. types of things that you could do um, in America, even if only because you would have a small audience to listen to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if it was fairly niche. In America, you might have a niche audience to listen to it. The niche might be seen, and they might take 10% of what made that niche special and incorporate it into another form. But um, you can do it. <clears throat> yeah, and can... so you could sort of, you could figure out from seeing, you know, music, I believe that happens a lot, where you'll see people people will come and they'll hear another another culture's musical style, they'll hear another sound that they haven't heard before, and they'll try to incorporate that
0: into their own sound. Right, and sometimes those <laughs> acts of transculturation mm-hmm. come up with some interesting hybrids, some yeah. interesting... But I, I, we did
1: touch on uh, you know, the one small sliver of hope for Chinese humor, which is the internet. Not uh, such a
0: small sliver either.
1: Right. A pretty big sliver, a mm-hmm. big fat kind of terabyte Slap the face yeah. sliver of, yeah. of hope for Chinese humor. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the internet a little bit? I mean, sure. Let's we'll talk about our, the internet. And, both I mean, our guests, um, Jesse and David, you know, have studied uh, tra- let's call it traditional Chinese humor, sort of, and, yeah. and it is kind of establishment humor in as much as cross talking is. You know, it's the it's the official kind of stand up comedy of CCTV, essentially, mm-hmm. not particularly loved by southerners. But by, you know, the Beijing government, that's acceptable. But the other face of Chinese humor is definitely the uh, often ironic, often sarcastic, can be very mean, bitter, uh, black uh, humor on the Internet. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I would say what's hap-
2: what's happening in the Internet now is kind of an extension and, a, you know, a hyperbolic <clears throat> explosion of what was already going on in things like the Shun Kou Liu and the... the the little popular ditties and then later on text messages that got passed around. It's a popular form of, you know, subversive humor that was anonymous. And the Internet has just allowed that platform to expand exponentially. Mm -hmm. So you have the same kind of thing, the the phenomenon of the Mm 额稿 of of these things that come out. They're basically anonymous. Just just for people who
0: might not know what that is, explain what the 额稿 is. This is
2: a a trend or a sort of a phenomenon that I think is, I don't know if it's dying out or not, but these anonymous uh, videos... Or you know, uh, video Photoshop. type Photoshop, yeah, Photoshop videos that that mocked uh, advertising or movie you know,
0: movie uh, scenes and things or like that. Or mock the Siu and Lian Bo you know, the right. nightly news. Right. Pro- so in, in,
2: or, a, in <laughs> essence, the kind of thing that Saturday Night Live exactly does all I the time, thinking, but right. anonymously and sort of scattered. Yeah. So these these things begin to pop up, and as technology enabled people to create their own things. And, know, and
0: we're seeing I mean, things like the popularity now. Um, I'm not sure how, how how to read this, but, you know, some people speak of popularity now of Jon Stewart's Daily Show in China, right. and it's getting millions of clicks. I mean, do you take that seriously? Do you think that people are really listening well, I, don't understand, I know it. Jeremy
2: had poo-pooed that a little bit. But I I think the, f- the, f- the fact that Chinese people are seeing that, I don't, I, I don't think they totally understand the American uh, style exactly of, of that style of humor. Uh, and they probably don't get all of the jokes. But I, I think it's it's uh, opening their eyes to a new way of relating to the audience. Yeah. And, and I think it was exciting for them to see that they had opened this magical channel between – the US and China where you had an American comedian that's winking at the Chinese audience at the same time it's winking to the American audience and enjoying this this cross-cultural you know what I agree with
1: you there and I think the same thing happened recently with uh, Conan O'Brien who had this segment where he somebody one of his writers found uh, what's the guy's name Da Peng or whatever Da
0: Peng Da Peng Da Peng uh, was had a comedy show, um, so know, f- replete with all the little sproingy yeah. noises and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, pretty uh, bad. it was yeah, it was pretty awful. Pretty you know, you <laughs> and and they completely ripped off the yeah, title, the took, opening
1: sequence from they Conan O'Brien. Completely. So they, they ended up being this sort of almost like a rap battle between right. Conan O'Brien and Da Peng. Quite yeah. good natured though, very good natured and quite funny and sweet. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, my point about saying poo pooing the John Stewart thing is that you know you see these headlines, oh Chinese and their millions and billions of uh, John Stewart fans. It's not, you know, it's a bunch of sophisticated urbanites who get it, which is a tiny number. And then uh, another bunch of people who are like, oh, there's like some Chinese guy on the American show, let's click on it. And I mean, you know, 100,000 views in China, I'm sorry, isn't very much. But uh, some of the jokes I think
2: they did get when he did that little bit when he said, gee, you know, I've been on the wrong continent. And he said, I'm going to do a little mini daily show for the Chinese audience, right? right?" Mm -hmm. So he does this shtick, you know, where you have a guy playing a peep, or something on the Great Wall, and he's telling these one-liners, these these stand-up comedy jokes. You know, and so like, yeah, what do you what do you call one thousand Taiwanese in a bathtub? Chinese, because
3: Taiwan is part of China. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and I
2: think they got that.
3: I mean, I think uh, they, they, they yeah, saw the yeah, delicious. I think, people I think it was that. it was it was a couple things I think that was really going on that sort of transpired to make it bigger than. I can understand how both of you have those opinions. I think the one thing is that if there is ever a if there was ever a gap to be seen, it would be between Simon Lian Bo uh-huh. and The Daily Show. So here was, all of a sudden, you have two things that on the surface look exactly the same. It's yeah. just a, a newsman telling you what's going on today. But there's such a gap, and the gap is so immediately clear between everything about the way the daily yeah. show is run and Simon Lian Bo that you don't need to think any of the content in John and The Daily Show was interesting. To be sucked in for three minutes and watch a web video about saying, like, oh, this is, this is yeah. turned it on his head. This is what those Americans <laughs> wanna, do, isn't it?
2: I want to stick in something that I think is very important. It's in another essay that I had on Downway, that I think is important for, an, I always tell this to my students. The, the, one of the biggest differences in Chinese mainstream media and the Western media is that in, in, in the U.S. there's no, uh, there's no uh, separation between news and entertainment. There's no ipso facto separation. News is entertainment; it's infotainment, mm-hmm. and entertainers do news. John Stewart does entertainment, but it's a, it's, it's also a news show. Reagan Reagan, Reagan so, ran right? for president. You know, The Terminator is governor of California. They well, go to the right? same balls. They they go to the same parties. Mm-hmm. They're in the in the same bed, literally in bed together, literally. But and in China, in China, there's a, China, there's a rather here. rigid separation between news and everything else, and including all kinds of entertainment. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that is – that's a fact of the media environment, the fact that China news is news. It's strictly controlled. It's the Xinwen Nanbo, as you, as you say. And other forms of entertainment are allowed to do anything they want to make money. And, and now since CCTV now and other forms of media forces their outlets to make – be money-making. I th- but they, but they, they say as long as you don't touch
1: politics – you can, you're, you're you know, you're free I, to do anything. I think that's a very good point, David. I mean, I, there's been a thing in the news recently that I had wanted to talk about, except it would make this podcast too long. Zhu <clears throat> Ju, Ju, uh, Ju Ling, the, the 1990s yeah. poisoning case that's been in the news recently. So a bunch of uh, – Google it if you want to know more because we don't have time to talk about it. But um, a bunch of Zhu uh, Ling supporters put a petition up on the White House petition website Uh, and managed to get very quickly more than 100,000 signatures, digital (laughs) signatures, which supposedly means the White House has to issue a response for the American government to do something about a crime that is alleged to have been committed in the 1990s in China. But anyway, it drew a lot of Chinese attention to the White House's petition site. Lo and behold, what do you have is basically all the other petitions are, in fact, humorous. There's one that says, bring troops and liberate the Chinese people. (laughs) My favorite one is, make the official taste of tofu sweet." And not yes. sour. <laughs> but no, no, sorry, <laughs> salty. Not, sour, salty. not salty. Yeah. Um, you know, I myself am of the salty party. Me too, <laughs> me too. I, would, me too. Uh, I want yeah, my too. tofu salty. I wouldn't. Put yeah. up the and I insist
0: stuff. on sugar it, in, in tomatoes. Know, I, when I
1: saw this, the, the tofu petition, my first reaction was like, "Look at you Chinese people! Give you some free speech, and this is what you do with it? You worthless <laughs> fucking fucks! No wonder there's no democracy in this fucking uh, uh, country. But well, that's good. Oh, oh, my second reaction was that. Well, you know, this is actually really, really funny. And yeah. it's great because in China, there's no place you can do this. Right, exactly. exactly. Whereas it's, it's great that Chinese people are going onto the White House's website and taking the piss. I mean... yeah. Isn't this one of the glories of the 21st century?
0: Yeah. I think it must be delicious for them to take part in that Well, yeah. While we've thing. got Jesse here, I mean, there are a couple of things that I want to do before we close out here. I, I definitely want to talk about um, you, and this whole Gangnam style, your, your, your Lawai style video, the reception that it had here. I want to talk about you as a comedian here in China working. And I also want to talk about a Chinese guy by the name of Joe Wong yes. who uh, has, has 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 made something of a splash in the United States. I mean, mm-hmm. he's actually, you know, he's... He's got a lot of gigs. He's a, he spoke at the, the correspondence dinner. He's um quite popular. Uh let's start by talking about uh what your your reception has been like here. Uh look at um how expatriates have reacted to your your very famous video and how Chinese have reacted.
3: Yeah. Well I mean I think first of all, it was kind of uh I obviously never expected for the Laowai-style video to get as big as it did. We just kind of made it for fun, me and a couple of my friends. And I did I did create the content to be the, to be for the Chinese audience. Uh-huh. So things that obviously if you were making a video for foreigners, you wouldn't have to say something, you know, like, Because um, um, uh-huh. everybody knows that if you come here, you know, you'll be able to use chopsticks in two uh-huh. weeks, even if you didn't know before. Um, but for all the foreigners that... Uh, it's it's very much for the Chinese audience though because there are still Chinese people who are worried about giving their seeing a foreigner and giving them chopsticks in the restaurant right. because they don't know and so there was some stuff like that and I did get a little bit of a backlash from the uh, a little bit of a backlash from the foreigner community because I feel like a lot of people felt like it was kind of inane a lot of the stuff that I covered wasn't really Fuck all that guys. like um, wasn't really all that deep. Um, but yet, at the same time, it was, it wasn't really meant to be delivered to foreigners. Right. Um, the, the foreigners who watched it was kind of like a, it was it was a bonus for me that you could really bring the two people together. But most of the foreigners that I think liked it, um, uh, most of the foreigners that saw it liked it. I know I did. Uh, oh, thank you, thank you. We have some friends. It's always good to have friends in a padded room. <laughs> um, Jesse, <laughs> yeah.
1: sorry. I, I did enjoy it and like it, but I <laughs> take issue with what you said about being deep. I don't think people. If they react, I, I, one of the problems I had with it, my uh, not that I have a big problem with it, but nope. my little problem that I reacted when I first mm-hmm. saw it, say about the chopsticks, was mm-hmm. that I think that to an extent you were saying, okay, I can use chopsticks and I can bargain at Silk Street. Mm-hmm. Therefore, your Chinese stereotype of ordinary foreigners who can't use is essentially chopsticks correct. Is essentially correct. That what was my saying, like, reaction.
3: By by even like deigning to talk about the issue. Yeah. Therefore, it. Wait, well, so yeah. well, you should have Here been I you am. douchebag
1: Chinese people. Well, <laughs> foreigners <had> fucking <laughs> well, so to fucking to these chopsticks. Is, so it takes this, two weeks, you so idiots.
3: Make this your own is,
2: video, Jeremy. Yeah. It won't go anywhere, well, this I guarantee you. <laughs> this, uh,
3: this, yeah, this is the description. Yeah, this was the split. This was the split between the, the foreigners who were for the video and the foreigners who were against it. I think that a lot of people were frustrated at the fact that these things even need to be talked about
0: uh, i don't really um, care about the foreigner reaction yeah. i'm more interested in the chinese yeah, but, yeah, uh, okay but, so sorry well, let's, let's go back, back to whatever. the chinese reaction um
3: the exactly. chinese reaction was oh, well it was almost overwhelmingly positive Um, the question then was sort of break down why it was positive. Um, Uh A good bit of it was just the fact that I was doing a funny dance. Right. Um, Which is, you know, good to know that, you know, physical humor works very well between (laughs) cultures. I think we could have guessed that very easily, but it was still good to ask It was also kind
0: of like, I'm I'm a self-effacing Wai.
3: Yeah, I think that there were were a couple things that I think people liked about it. I think it was the idea of, like, going out in public and doing some sort of silly dance like that. Not only is it something that Chinese people don't do often, it's something that they think, for foreigners do do often right. so it was very naturally fit into that sort of like oh this is what a foreigner would make a video about right? so are
0: you kind of resigned to the notion that Chinese people are always going to find you funny only because you're a foreigner or do you think that at some point you're going to be able to transcend that and be um, accepted as funny I'd, on the merits of your content and kind of colorblind
3: uh, I mode? don't know if the, the latter is really all that possible right now but I do think that it's possible to um, there are many types of Ways, there are many ways of using a foreign identity in humor. One is to be a foreigner and say, you know, you know, you'd tie an American flag bandana around your head and say, like, you know, in America, we eat, you know, ribs or something like that. Um, but I think that there's a lot of jokes that, you know, where America or where the West interacts with China, I think there are opportunities for jokes that, you know, bring together, bring people together and have this sort of like common human interest in them. And then at that point, yes, I am a foreigner. Yes, it is relevant that I'm a foreigner making that joke. But the reason I can make that joke is because I am in that in-between spot. Mm -hmm. And to relinquish my ability to tell those jokes, to tell jokes that only would have worked, you know, independent of my cultural background, seems to be somewhat of a fighting uphill and for not all that clear of a game.
1: Jesse, can I ask how many, and David, how many
3: foreigners are active in the Chinese comedy scene at the moment?
1: It's a little blurry
2: because there's a lot of people doing TV in general. And sometimes it involves singing or just going on a talk show. But then they also... a sort of, uh,
1: if I may say, professional capacity. I mean, people who are studying. I mean, you know, the two of you... Uh, Dashan, right. uh, Julian, the, mm-hmm. the French cross-talker. Right. Right. Charlotte, uh, Charlotte
2: McKinnis, yeah, and then the, uh, the Irish guy that sometimes
1: performs with Julian, Richard, yeah. Richard yeah. Doran, 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 yeah, Richard yeah. Doran. You know, I mean, is it eight people? Like I said
2: earlier, ten people. I'd say the 20? people. i mean, say the people that you know, including including younger people, ones like Jesse, it's
1: probably a
2: dozen, maybe twenty. If you want to, but if you want to talk about people who have done that at some time in the past for a year, two, three, or four or five years. It must be in the hundreds. John, yeah, I cost mean, cost China, China-wide. I mean, talking about lots of Lao-Wai going on TV. I mean, it seems skits. to me
3: it's almost like whenever I whenever I meet a foreigner who I think like, oh, you have like a very, you know, your Chinese is very, very good. And then they say that they come from, you know, second or third tier city somewhere. Almost certainly that person has did, been on TV, has been on TV off, like very often and usually in some sort of like role. Yeah. yeah. Because it's like if you're outside of Beijing, uh, you know is as is, is easy as it is to get on TV in Beijing it's even easier outside of uh, outside of the uh, outside of Beijing and outside of Shanghai assuming you're not particularly worried about what you're doing on TV
1: let's let's talk about Joe Wong
0: let's talk about Joe Wong here fair warning yeah, yeah. to
1: people who... well
0: don't, yeah I, don't be Tom <laughs> David, um, you've you've written a, you've actually interviewed him before, right? I've met I've met him, met I've him seen him his shows in Boston, and we did a show together
2: here when last Wow, well, yeah, Jesse well, did too.
0: And we, we have
1: we, a story we, on Dawei. I think an that's interview right. interview Ooh, with him, yeah. yeah, right. And that's David, that's the yeah.
0: interview that I read yeah. Yeah. Well, to talk about the guy, and then you know talk about how I mean, I'm I'm especially interested in hearing how he as a as a native Chinese speaking person who'd gone on and you know enjoyed some professional success in the states. When he came back to China, what the disconnect exactly. he felt was?
2: Yeah, he's an interesting case because it sort of it sort of tests these issues we're talking about about cross cultural humor. But he's a very interesting guy. He was he was a uh, PhD molecular biologist. Was working uh, you know I don't know what university he university graduated from, but he was working in the U.S. as a uh, in a molecular biology lab or something. And then he he suddenly decided he really he always liked humor, and he liked he liked crosstalk actually. And he suddenly discovered American stand-up and he said, I want to do that. And he's this uh, the same Chinese nerdy-looking <laughs> uh, Tsinghua University, uh, you know, PhD, and he says, "I want to do crosstalk. I want to do American stand-up comedy." So, Is that
0: so weird for you to hear this? It's because very I mean, that's weird. what you did. Well, you're yeah, that. you're right. You're exactly
2: right. But it's a little bit different because, as Jesse's just alluding to, mm-hmm. there's actually a market for that here. People will grab you off the street. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not in not in uh, the U.S., right? Yeah,
3: it's certainly the sort of thing where, like, I'm thinking now, I'm like, you know what? Maybe I want to try to do like an all Chinese language, like western style stand-up show and i think about that and when i when i think of that uh, all my content all my energy is like okay let's make good content because the moment i have that content that's even halfway good i will have a billion places to do it right. whether it's in clubs or possibly on tv or whatever the stages be the stage is there uh, but for joe wong it would be kind of the opposite i think people going to a comedy club in america they're going to come and laugh and then this guy comes up at the open mic if they don't like it yeah you know, he 's getting, but he right.
2: he did it in a very Chinese way. He said he found that there was a yeah. uh, community college or in, in Brookline, Massachusetts that had a little you know mini course on on stand up comedy, and he said he took a course in it <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> and he learned the basics and everything, and then he started doing you know trying it out in the clubs in Boston. And, you know, he was mildly successful. And someone from the Letterman show actually saw him, you know, and said uh, – and so he was eventually discovered and ended up on the, the Ellen show and the David Letterman show and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about him is his his language is not fluent. He doesn't really have a perfect accent. No. His stage manner is is not really the sort of – the stereotypical U.S. stand-up comedy, the, the, you know, kind of uh, – They don't want uh, Self-confident, yeah, yeah, you know. I, I think that all works for him. Yeah, it all works know, for yeah. him perfectly. He's, he sort of disarms the audience uh, – you know the the title of the, my essay, or the thing there was killing them softly. He does yeah. it in a soft, sweet kind of way, and he also he also I think has developed this ironic sense. You know, he he he, he subverts to the irony. audience's reaction uh, expectations. His 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 usual opening line it used to be you know he came out and everyone would say who is this guy and he said hello everybody so, I'm Irish <laughs> you know yeah. and, and this kind of thing you know and and he, he but what's interesting is that he developed this style and. Um, Chinese people began to realize, oh, there's this there's this uh, Chinese guy that's very uh, a hot you know stand up comic in the U S. So they downloaded his videos and they subtitled them, and the result was most of the Chinese audience looked at these things. and said, These aren't funny. What's going on? There's <laughs> yeah. nothing funny about. it. They this didn't get any really of the jokes. Understand. They didn't yes, get yes, the yes, what, right. the style. They didn't see. What so, but now he's decided he wants to come back and sort of make a you know uh, make inroads into the Chinese market. And it's, it's still unclear yet. He's, he's, he's got a lot of interest, but I yeah. think it's due to the fact that they respect him because he's yeah. made it in the U.S., it's, yeah. not because his comedy is going to be really successful yeah. here. The other
3: reason I think they respect him is because he he did do it in a very Chinese way. It's how do you become a comedian, graduate top of your class, become a Ph.D. in a molecular biologist, and then you can go and do right. what it is that you the want the Amateur ideal, in comedy. Uh, um, oh, I got a chance to see him perform live here in China. Uh, I was invited to the the... What was the, the Wang Luo Chunwan uh-huh. like sort of the Internet Chun right, right, yeah. right. Chunwan or whatever Spring Festival Gala, yeah, the, yeah some the, sort of the gala. B-list, uh, I sat at a table. The B-list, yeah, I sat at a table, and it was like for Wang Luo Hongren. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, wow! All right. um, and <laughs> yeah. so, uh, and so he comes on stage, and it's a huge stage. It's completely unlike any sort of like comedy club you would ever perform. Right. It's it's unlike even like a comedy theater that you would perform a stand up special in. This huge stage, big lights everywhere, screens everywhere. He tells these jokes and then they come in with the wah, 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 wah. Uh, oh. like the wah, wah, like sound boing. effects. Stupid oh, boing, and I boing. I could see I could I could tell that it was throwing him off. It was throwing him off quite a oh, bit. He may God. have known they were coming, but it was still throwing him off. The audience didn't quite know what to make of it, so he got some laughs. Um, but they were kind of like when people realized they should be laughing at this point. Uh. Um, and it was... His content was funny. Like, I was laughing. Um, it was... The the language was more of a sort of like, okay, let's agree what series of, like, noises and grunts we're going to use to communicate this comedy. Because I got his comedy style.
2: but Because um, you're American.
3: Because I'm American. American. And so the fact that the language was Chinese wasn't really all that relevant in a lot of his jokes. Um, but the... It was it was the culture because he he would have a joke about you know going into an American family's home and after um you know after uh, using the toilet you're supposed to put the toilet seat down or something like that but he didn't know what he should do so he stayed in the bathroom and like wasn't sure whether to have the seat up or down or leave it exactly how it came in or. Do this. There, there was some sort of joke about that, and the audience was just completely. Yeah, blank. He's, he, he, For example, yeah, one
2: of it his doesn't he, work for me. <laughs> one of his jokes. One of his jokes is uh, you know he says, uh, yeah. "Wow, you know I I find marriage is really terrifying. I'm really scared of marriage. Mm-hmm. Do you know that in fifty percent of all marriages end up." With the couple living together for the rest of their life, <laughs> and then, okay, and he does it deadpan and everything, yeah. and it works, you know, perfectly in, same, in the U.S. Yeah. And he's, slight, he's got a slight accent. You do the same joke in the Chinese situation, and the audience says they're not quite prepared for this. Well, no. wait, you just said the opposite, and you, you know, yeah. it, it's it's this irony there, and and it, uh, I don't Well, it, it all comes
0: it, back to that. I mean, the the the, the lack of this ironic sense. Yep. I mean. And uh, again, I mean, I come back to this, uh, post-war America ramped up to this situation where now uh, we are so saturated in it. I mean, everyone yep. is so meta. Every <laughs> genre of, 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 of culture is so soaked in it that I'm personally, I, I'm, I'm kind of eager to, to, to see a little more earnestness. I, I wonder about concepts like this. I mean, Jesse and David, I don't know if you guys, how do you translate words like kitsch or <laughs> or, or camp? Oh. or or
2: No, there's, you can't translate can't right. it's hard because Cheesy. it's easy like, how do i you explain you have to you have, you is- can't translate but you have to explain them because they don't yeah. have the concept right yeah, yeah. The,
3: the the problem the problem comes from as i said like comedy is really fragile like the way i usually describe it is you no know, b plus in comedy right you know either it hits right it's and, and it right. worked and if your joke is really good then it's good if it's your joke is a little funny then you get a little laugh but either it works or it fails uh, and so as a result you know you really can't take a lot of the um, a lot of the content that's really steeped in culture. That's really steeped in you know people being used to seeing one performance style or used to seeing you know seeing certain concepts expressed with comedy. Explaining that isn't going to do anything because it'll break that it'll no. break your 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 joke. So,
0: so what do I make of these these kids I see now with? Kind of odd facial those hair. Those kids with and those the, kids, or with, with the ironic T-shirts. And... Oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, I, no, I'm those born
1: after nineteen ninety. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. no, 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 I mean, is, oh, no, the they, they, they have the,
0: a, the the the, the, the <laughs> at least the outward aspect of what what we would call hipsters, but do they have that? I mean, no. I mean, I see just—it was really you. funny. Like, I remember, I I was um,
3: I was always I was always wondering how to say hipster in Chinese, and I was hanging out with a Chinese friend of mine, and then. He said, like, yeah, like, I'm really Fai like, which right. is, like, you know, like non-mainstream. Right. So, like, I thought that was, like, yeah. So, I thought it was, so I was, like, oh, so, like, what sort of things do you do? And he's, like, yeah, so, like, my profile picture on Renren, Ren, I took it myself with my cell phone.
0: Well, wow, that's fucking I'm like, I'm, like, yeah, I'm,
3: like, whoa, this is, like, pretty wow, intense. Wow, edgy, guy, man. Right? Yes, edgy. <laughs> I'm, like, isn't this, like... Regular, so I was like this term that's being used for non-mainstream is now all of a sudden referring to something extremely mainstream as far as I've seen it. Sounds familiar. Um,
0: (laughs) Alternative rock. But but Kaiser, you you were, go ahead. I mean, David, you you were noting that uh, you had gone to see the Stephen Stephen Joe 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 Singer movie, mm-hmm. uh, and and you know it was holding a lot of hope. But at the same time, there were these two lay film movies that came out at yes. the same time, and there was nobody in the audience. That's right. But should there have nobody. been at least people like, in the audience there, like you know like camping it up and, and sort of yeah. you know, doing I mean, the mystery the, science theater How could, how could they show at the...
2: this still in his show a Leifong movie and not have people wearing the shoes I, and going to the thing? I would have been there. Yeah, I would have been there. I
3: didn't know that it was. Ex- well,
1: here's the thing. It's like so No, no, did... no, no, no. You people grew up in America. You have no clue what it's like to grow up in a country where you have some kind of awful totalitarian bullshit rammed down your throat. Right. I had that in South Africa. Right. There was no chance <laughs> I would go and see nineteen early 1980s South African TV films. Yeah for irony right. it wouldn't sorry, be funny wouldn't, it wouldn't, yeah, be it's right. not funny it fucking I, sucks I, I can yeah. sort so of I'm sorry that. I don't think that's a point no, that's I can just understand. like sorry I can you didn't grow up with the commies in charge and that's uh, really
0: my point is that you know we have this twisted American perspective that really doesn't entitle us to judge what's what, what, what you know the state of humor in, in, in China today
3: yeah well this is this thing is like what were you saying when I said that I would go to the movie what that means is it would be funny to me right but the thing is that the to me right now is getting, is sort of after coming here and studying this China this Chinese comedy, the to me is getting narrower and narrower. Okay. So like me right now as somebody who's grown up in the United States, but has also spent a lot of time in China trying to understand Chinese comedy, trying to understand Chinese humor. So now when I come up with a joke that really kills for me, it's almost certain it's not going to kill for the pure American audience or the pure Chinese audience mm-hmm. because I'm somewhere in the middle.
0: Yeah. Welcome to my world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm
1: very familiar with that yeah. problem.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It only gets worse. Yeah, hey guys. Oh, well, so it's not, you not just the
1: know. humor; it's everything. It's your it's career, everything that's worth your yeah. life.
3: I you should know, your I should check life, this your... right on my my calendar right now. The day I was at my peak
0: everything's just going to go it, down it's going to go there. downhill your friends will okay oh, on you, that you, lovely like note let's, <laughs> let, let's wind up uh, this this yeah. this uh, section of the show and move on to the section where we make recommendations so uh, i hope that all of you have something that you'd like to recommend for the show uh, why don't we just start here on my right with my buddy Jeremy what do you got for us
1: all right, i have a little <coughs> essay uh, written by the novelist uh, lionel shriver Mm -hmm. who was in Beijing recently, I think, for the book festival. And it's uh, published on StandpointMag.co.uk, a column that appears to be called On the Contrary. I'd just like to read the first paragraph. I think everyone who lives in Beijing should read this. It's just fun. And she says, I did myself no favors at China's Bookworm Literary Festival in March when I announced on stage that Beijing was the ugliest city I'd ever seen. (laughs) <laughs> Even the expats were offended. Yet the problem wasn't simply my typical tactlessness. After a few, re- few days of trudging through that dingy fug as ranks of monotonous, cheaply constructed tower blocks foreshortened into the gloom, I didn't think I was venturing an opinion but stating a self-evident
3: fact. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go read it. It's good.
0: <laughs>
3: uh, uh, let's see. For my recommendation... I just to see something interesting, look up Korean Saturday Night Live. There's actually Korean Saturday Night Live. They make Western-style comedy sketches and do live comedy like the West, but it's all Asian people speaking in their Asian language and doing stuff that they're interested in with their other Asian culture.
0: And is it subtitled in, in uh, English? There
3: are. You can find some subtitles in English. I mean, you know, some of it's better than others, but it was just such a... Um, when I found this a couple weeks ago, it was such a... Uh, mind-blowing gap between uh, what's going on here in China on television and uh, what was going on even close by in Korea. Obviously, very different countries, very different situations, but uh, still made me think.
0: Absolutely. David, what do you have for us?
2: Uh, well, I'm, I apologize because uh, I just looked at this as I was leaving, and I f- sort of didn't get the, the specifics, but we, we can put a link to it. But what I'd w- like to recommend vis-a-vis this show is a, a North Korean video, which has sort of gone viral on the Internet, which is a sort of internet a variation on an Internet meme. There's this Internet meme of taking uh, stupid uh, Indian uh, musical music videos, and subtitling... Like Bollywood. Yeah, like Bollywood videos. And subtitling them, uh, not with a translation, but with with what the actual Indian sounds sound like right. to, to an yeah. English speaker, right? So you, so they subtitle them in, in... So it comes out this totally bizarre, weird gibberish, and they're dancing mm-hmm.
0: around singing this crazy Oh, no, stuff. they've got them in Chinese, but, too. Yeah, yes, yes, they've got them in Chinese, there's, too. There's, there's one where the woman is singing... I'm fr- it could be good because I'm looking at subtitles, but I swear to God, she's singing. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And that's, maybe you can link. That's, yes, that's you, what's written on the screen. Yes, right? yes,
2: well, you can. Maybe you can find that. You can link to it. This, but this is also similar. It's a North Korean video, and they've done the same sort of thing, where they've taken the this the well, is North Korean, but they're taking Indian videos. No, 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 no. It's based... At the, I'm saying the internet meme. Ah. It's, the actual... If you want to g- Google it, they, the original thing was called Buffalax, B u f f a l a b u f f a l a a x.
3: you find
2: this? man But it spawned this whole... It was one of these crazy internet memes, and now there's one in this, this North Korean video. It's very funny, and the, all the Chinese people that I've seen... Uh, you know watching it just fall on the floor laughing because it's it's exactly the same type of humor as this you know this this english based internet meme but there but so what it shows what i really liked about it is it shows that that people resonate with the same kind of humor. It's, it's wooly toad It makes no Chinese, sense.
1: Chinese people are, in fact, people. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
3: So Chinese well, is, people are, is, in fact, people, and they have senses the of humor. Though. Like yes. I, I feel like this should be like underscored, though, because we've talked a lot about the differences between humor, because that seems to be what people always ask me, is they say, what's, what's the differences? And then sort of an afterthought, they say, oh, and is anything the same? But honestly, I think a lot of the really core stuff that makes up what is funny, how is funny all of that stuff actually translates pretty well. It's just a matter of getting that from the idea to the execution without getting tripped up by any number of uh, factors that could wind up making it not funny between two cultures. Yeah,
0: sure. Okay, I'm going to wrap up with my my, uh, kind of ridiculously erudite uh, recommendation, which is the David Foster Wallace essay on television Ah, uh, written 20 years ago called E. Unibus Plurum, Television and U.S. Fiction, uh, that appeared, I think, in uh, Literary Review. I believe it was. I can't remember. I read the PDF. But I don't remember. What it was yeah, it's, it's a, it's a. Ter- I mean, you can look it up, and you can find. I oh, will put a link to the PDF online. Uh, I'm just going to read one quick paragraph from that essay here, and I think it really has quite a bit to do with what we've been talking about tonight. So, television's classic irony function came into its own in the summer of 1974 as remorseless lenses opened to view the fertile credibility gap between the image of official disclaimer and the reality of high-level shenanigans. A nation was changed as audience. If even the president lies to you, whom are you supposed to trust to deliver the real? Television that summer presented itself as the earnest, worried eye on the reality behind all images. The irony that television is itself a river of image, however, was apparent even to the 12-year-old sitting there, rapt. There seemed to be no way out. Images and ironies all over the place. It's not a coincidence that Saturday Night Live, that Athens of irreverent cynicism, specializing in parodies of one politics and two television, premiered the next fall on television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. Think yeah, I can write. And, yeah, he can, and it's it, it's it's brilliant. And it really, I, I, I read this ahead of this 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 talk. Uh, that we've had here just just now, and and it really informed a lot of the ideas that I had. So please uh, read it, and stick around. Give a listen to uh, to me reading Yutang's terrific essay, "The Dog Meat General," and uh, uh, Jesse Appel. Thanks for coming. Thank you guys very much, David Moser. As 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 always, thanks. Thanks, thanks so much my pleasure. You. And Jeremy, we will see you next week. Take yeah. care, folks. Yeah, bye bye. The dog meat general. So General Zhang Zongchang, the dog meat general, has been killed, according to this morning's report. I am sorry for him, and I am sorry for his mother, and I am sorry for the sixteen concubines he has left behind him, and the four times sixteen that had left him before he died. As I intend to specialize in writing in memoriam for the bewildering generals of this bewildering generation, I am going to begin with the dogmeat general first. So our dog meat general is dead. What an event! It is full of mystic significance for me, and for China, and us poor folk who do not wear boots and carry bayonets. Such a thing could not happen every day, and if it could, there would be an end to all China's sorrows. In such an eventuality, you could abolish all the five yuan, tear up the will of Dr. Sun Yat-sen, Dismiss the hundred-odd members of the Central Executive Committee of the Kuomintang, close up all the schools and the universities of China, and you wouldn't have to bother your head about communism, fascism, and democracy, and universal suffrage, and emancipation of women, and we poor folk would still be able to live in peace and prosperity. So one more of the colorful, legendary figures of medieval China has passed into eternity And yet, Dogmeat General's death has a special significance for me because he was the most colorful, legendary, medieval, and unashamed ruler of modern China. He was a born ruler such as modern China wants. He was six feet tall, a towering giant with a pair of squint eyes and a pair of abnormally massive hands. He was direct, forceful, terribly efficient at times, obstinate, and gifted with moderate intelligence. He was patriotic, according to his lights, and he was anti-communist, which made up for his being anti-Guomindang. All his critics must allow that he wasn't anti-Guomindang from convictions, but by accident. He didn't want to fight the Guomindang, it was the Guomindang that wanted to fight him and grab his territory, and being an honest man, he fought rather than turn tail, given a chance, and if the Guomindang would return him his Shandong, he would join the Guomindang because he said that the Sanmin doctrine can't do any harm. He could drink, and he was awfully fond of dog meat, and he could swear all he wanted to, and as much as he wanted to, irrespective of his official superiors and inferiors. He made no pretense to being a gentleman, and didn't affect to send nice-sounding circular telegrams like the rest of them. He was ruthlessly honest, and his honesty made him much loved by all his close associates— If he loved women, he said so, and he could see foreign consuls while he had a Russian girl sitting on his knee. If he made orgies, he didn't try to conceal them from his friends and foes. If he coveted his subordinate's wife, he told him openly and wrote no psalm of repentance about it like King David. And he always played square. If he took his subordinate's wife, he made her husband the chief of police of Jinan. And he took good care of other people's morals. He forbade girl students from entering parks in Jinan and protected them from the men-gorillas who stood at every corner and nook to devour them. And he was pious, and he kept a harem. He believed in polyandry as well as polygamy, and he openly allowed his concubines to make love with other men, provided he didn't want them at the time. He respected Confucius, and he was patriotic. He was reported to be overjoyed to find a bedbug in a Japanese bed in Beppo, and he never tired of telling people of the consequent superiority of Chinese civilization. He was very fond of his executioner, and he was thoroughly devoted to his mother. Many legends have been told about Dogmeat's ruthless honesty. He loved a Russian prostitute, and his Russian prostitute loved a poodle, and he made a whole regiment pass in review before the poodle to show them he loved the prostitute that loved the poodle. Once he appointed a man-magistrate in a certain district in Shandong, and another day he appointed another man to the same office and started a quarrel. Both claimed that they had been personally appointed by General Dogmeat. It was agreed, therefore, that they should go and see the general to clear up the difficulty. When they arrived, it was evening, and General Zhang was in bed in the midst of his orgies. Come in, he said with his usual candor. The two magistrates then explained that they had both been appointed to him to the same district. You fools, he said, can't you settle such a little thing between yourselves, but must come to bother me about it? Like the heroes of the great Chinese novel, Shui Hu, and like all Chinese robbers, he was an honest man. He never forgot a kindness, and he was obstinately loyal to those who had helped him. His trousers' pockets were always stuffed with money, and when people came to him for help, he would pull out a bankroll and Give a handful of those that asked. He distributed hundred-dollar notes as Rockefeller distributed dimes. Because of his honesty and his generosity, he was beyond the hatred of his fellow man. This morning, as I entered my office and informed my colleagues of the great news, everyone smiled, which shows that everyone was friendly toward him. No one hated him, and no one could hate him. China is still being ruled by men like him, who haven't got his honesty, generosity, and loyalty. He was a born ruler, such as modern China wants, and he was the best of them all.